Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This last weekend, I had the pleasure of attending my wife's sister or my sister-in-law's wedding. It was good to see family that came in from out of town, and I also had the opportunity to meet some new people. My wife was the matron of honor, and so I was taking care of the kids. And during picture time before the service, I met a man named Dustin. And he was the husband of one of the bridesmaids. And we got to chatting. Later, uh, we learned that he and I were at the same table for dinner at the reception, so that was cool. But it wasn't until dinner that Dustin found out that I was a pastor. And I've learned there are certain things that happen once somebody finds out that you're a pastor. The first two I've become accustomed to. The first thing they do is they stop swearing. The second thing they do is that they apologize for not coming to church as often as they should. I don't even need to mention church. They just uh, are convicted enough by my presence alone to bring up the whole church attendance thing. But I've noticed there's a third thing that has started to happen when people find out that I am a pastor. And that is that they want to talk about religion. Almost immediately, Dustin started talking about how he's open to people believing whatever they want to believe. That if people are happy, they should be okay to just think their own thing and, and believe what they want. It was during this opening dialogue that he started saying the phrase, no offense. Like what he was saying was somehow offending me. Then I went on to ask him, I said, so, uh, so then what do you believe? Which is a question I don't think he gets asked very often. And he told me that he comes from a Roman Catholic background and that he affirms that there is a God, but, and it's after that word but that carries all that emotional weight. It's after the but that he says what he truly believes. And he said, but, no offense, and then goes on with the tired old lapsed Catholic, I don't agree with the church. As long as I'm a good person, I know I've made mistakes, etc., etc., etc. Nothing I haven't heard before. And then he went on to say how I am, no offense, just some motivational speaker, and that the people come to church because they have to. Now, I wasn't offended. I truly wasn't. I was saddened that... That's what he thought about the church and about God. And I was, I was fascinated and I was curious on how he had gotten to that point in his life. But I wasn't offended. You see, people believe all sorts of things. And I was thankful at this point I was able to correct him as to what exactly uh, my job was. I told him that I wasn't a motivational speaker. In fact, I was rather the opposite because it's my job to accuse people of their sins, according to the Bible. And then I get to remind them that God loves them and that he died for them. I went on to explain that some people actually come to church because they're built up by it. And they are reinvigorated for another week of life here in this fallen and broken creation. I reminded him that hearing about God's love for them helps people along from week to week. And it's my job to be the one that gets to tell them all about God's love and his forgiveness of sins. 
It was at this point that uh, the conversation got cut short because my kids were getting hungry and they were starting to lose their cool. And so I focused my attention on them. But looking back at the conversation, I wish I, wish I would have said when it comes to how he views religion that where he's at now doesn't necessarily that's where he's going to mean that's where he's going to be in the future. Right? Because people's view of religion can and, and do change all the time. And I wish, I wish that was always a good thing. That people only change from being an unbeliever to a believer. But sometimes the opposite's true. That people can go from being a believer in Christ to not being a believer in Christ. God gives humanity free will. And when free will is exercised, sometimes that means the denial of faith, the rejection of God. Sadly, this can also be the cause of tension, maybe even falling out between family members. But for good or bad, people believe what they're going to believe. And this can be on the large scale, like with Dustin and how he views the church and God. Or it can be on the small scale, like how a person believes they should handle a specific situation. It can be on the individual level, or it can be on, on the corporate or the group level even. An example of a group level is like in the church. When people believe that worship should be only conducted in one way, that's an example of that. There are some on one side who think that the only valid hymnal is one that was published in 1941. Others believe on the other side that all worship should be completely unscripted in order to be real and authentic. And some are in the middle. And the reasoning behind both of these beliefs on the ends, they're solid. One values and upholds tradition, which is good. One reaches out to new Christians in new ways, which is good. But navigating these waters between the two can be tough. And it often leads to disputes. And so it comes down to the real question of theology versus practice. A question of what we believe versus what we do. Take, for example, the sharing of the piece we did at the beginning of the worship service. Some people absolutely loathe that part of the worship service. Other people... It's the best time of the whole worship service. They get to go around shaking people's hands and talking to them. But have you ever wondered the theology behind that part of the service? Why, why do we do that in worship? Well, it actually comes as part of our, our gospel lesson for today. As a preparation for receiving communion, we are to examine ourselves. And if someone's upset with us, or if we're upset with somebody else... We're supposed to go and resolve those differences before we share in the receiving of the Lord's Supper. We're supposed to be reconciled. Listen to what it says in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see, God wants us to be reconciled to each other. He doesn't want there to be conflict. And in the early church, they would actually stop 
the worship service at this point, and they would have the different people attending go and resolve their differences. They would forgive each other. And then the service would continue on after that. We continue that practice today, but sadly most of us don't realize or uh, know why it is we do that. Another example of what we believe versus what we do in the church is the very language we speak, the fact that we speak English. For much of the early history of the LCMS, we were a German-speaking church body. It wasn't until the first two decades of the 20th century that speaking English became a priority. For a whole generation, we, the Missouri City, were bilingual. And it wasn't until the First and Second World War that the Americanization of the LCMS became a priority. Because you can imagine, having a connection to the Germans became a rather negative thing. It was around the same time that the American flag made its way into the chancel. Have you ever wondered how that thing got in here? It was to show that we're not a separatist, anti-American sect of religion. We were not the Nazi party hiding and holding church in uh, downtown small America. As you can imagine, there was probably some resistance to the changing of the very language we used to worship God. But a remnant of that discord was the placing of that American flag in the chancel. Now, at the last elders' meeting, an elder asked if there was some major conflict in the church that he didn't know about. Because he was asked, that if our, he was asked if our sermon series was, a, uh, was addressing a specific situation. And just to make things clear, there is no major conflict in this church. But like in any situation, especially when changes are happening, there's always the potential for it. And so this sermon series is meant to help train up the disciples of Jesus to have the necessary tools to deal with conflict and disagreements should they arise to be reconciled again. As you may know, South Shore Trinity has also been in uh, developing a new vision where we are specifically reaching out to new people. And even that new vision can sometimes cause conflict as the church is making some changes. Truth is, not everyone is comfortable with change. And sadly, that means there could be hurt feelings. There could be feelings uh, of being disrespected or even a lack of confidence in the church leadership. But let me be clear. This is God's church. And it's God who leads and directs his church. And we, all of us, we do our part the best we can. And sometimes that means we make mistakes. And so we need to be able to be reconciled one to another. And again, this comes down to what we believe versus what we actually do. One of the beautiful things about this church is that we actually have a very clear statement of faith, of what we believe and, and confess week after week. That confession of faith is called a creed. And sometimes we say the Apostles' Creed, sometimes we say the Nicene Creed, but week after week, we together make a confession of our faith. I tell my confirmation kids that this is because if for some reason I have a bad sermon, uh, by speaking the creed, you all still get reminded of what God has done and what God continues to do for you in your lives. 
And so it's during this confession of faith that we get to say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We actually believe that. And this forgiveness of sins, this is something we've been talking about for a while now, and it's got two parts, which we've already covered a little bit. We have the confession part, and we've got the absolution part, the forgiveness part. When I first uh, spoke about this, about making confession of our sins, we talked about making our, our confession to God and, and hearing God's forgiveness. And that was the, uh, the, the vertical uh, axis of that cross, of this Go and Be Reconciled series. And today, we're focusing on the horizontal, the, uh, the confess to the other person. And I think it's important at this point to, to point out the difference between confessing and apologizing, because those, those are two different things. In the book, Go and Be Reconciled, we are reminded of how the Greek translates the word confess. In the original Greek, it is homologomen, which means to say the same thing. That's what it means. The root of the word homologomen at its root has the word logo, which is the word for word. Okay, so it's a word. And then the, the prefix homo means the same. And so it means to say the same words or to agree. When we confess the creed, we are saying the same thing as what God says in his word and about who we are, who he is, and how we are in relationship with him. And when we confess between individuals, we, say, we are saying the same thing as each other. And when we confess sins, we are confessing our faith in Christ. We acknowledge that we need a Savior and that we trust in his forgiveness. We agree that we have not lived up to the expectations that God has for us, and we have not lived up to the expectations that each other has uh, for each other, and that we need to be forgiven. That's what it means to confess. This is different from an apology. To speak an apology means to give a defense. And this is not a word that the Bible uses for confessing of sins. To offer an apology means to give the reasons as to why you acted the way you acted. Okay? But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually sorry for or that you regret what you've done. It simply offers a justification or a reason behind your behavior. Speaking an apology does not mean the same thing as making a confession. And just a side note here, an apology without a change in behavior is manipulation. But God would have us instead make confession of our sin. You see an example of this in our Old Testament reading. Here we have uh, Joseph. Uh, it's the Joseph with the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Uh, not Joseph, the uh, stepdad of Jesus. That's the New Testament Joseph. And so the story of Joseph uh, in Genesis 50 is, is rather a sad story, actually. Uh, it's one in which Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him for some things that he said. And so his, his brothers, uh, they grab him and they throw him down in this well and they're going to kill him. But instead, the last minute, they decide instead to sell him off into slavery into Egypt. And then they, they steal his, his coat and they, they fake his death and they bring his, his coat to, to Joseph's dad, Jacob, and, and Jacob mourns bitterly over his loss. And when you read the whole account, you can see that Joseph's brothers really did do the evil that they admitted to here in Genesis 50. 
And so you can see how they make confession to Joseph. They, they agree that they have not lived up to the expectation that God has for them, and they have not lived up to the expectation that Joseph had for them, and that they needed to be forgiven. They didn't try to offer some hollow apology about how they were mad at what he said and, and that they were justified in their actions, but they agreed, rather, that they had done evil to him, their very own brother. And that's what confession between individuals looks like. Because their sin affected others. And sadly, our sin affects others as well. We, too, do evil against one another. And we, too, must confess our sins and be reconciled. And what we believe becomes the basis for how we are to behave. But what if that other person is the one that's hurt you? Right? So far, I've only addressed when we hurt other people. What about when somebody does evil towards you? Well, the Bible speaks clearly to that situation in Romans 12. It says we should live in harmony with one another. A little early on that, sorry. We should live in harmony with, other, with one another. And I know that's way easier said than done. Our sinful nature would love to repay evil for evil, right? We'd love to let them have it. Their actions demand a consequence. And we are going to be the ones to teach them a lesson. Listen to Romans 12, 17, and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But pastor, who's going to teach them a lesson? Romans 12, 19, the very next verse. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, it's up to God who he holds accountable and who he forgives their sins. The last time I preached on forgiveness, I said that if God can forgive you, you can forgive you. And it was all about receiving forgiveness from God. Well, this time I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to say, if God can forgive the other person, then you can forgive the other person. And it's in that forgiving of others that we live out what we, what we believe. We confess in the third article of the Creed that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe that we are forgiven by God and that he removes the eternal consequence of sin from us. And we know this because of what it says in the second article of the Creed, that we confess that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And by that, Jesus paid the price for our sin as we are forgiven. The wrath of God, which he's entitled to, the vengeance that is his, God relents of it. And instead, he brings us in as his very own children. Because God's vengeance was satisfied by the spilling of Jesus' blood. 
Jesus' death took the wrath from us. And by it, God saves us poor, miserable sinners as he forgives our sins. And it's in knowing this reality of God's love that we are then able to forgive one another. It's by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts that we too can relent of our vengeance and we can choose to let go of our pride. And instead, we can own up to our sin. We can express sorrow over the sin that we've caused. We can commit to changing our behavior so it's more in line with what we actually believe. And we can seek forgiveness from each other. And by so doing, be reconciled. May God grant this in your life and in mine. Amen.